Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I fake a smile, no. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late on Periscope, the podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and wherever you can find it on Google. Red Sox just wrapped up the World Series by winning the World Championship, beating the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, four games to one. And I am Terry Cushman, joined as always by Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? I am wonderful, Terry. Doesn't get any better than this, does it? No, I mean, three losses. Uh, there was, you know, except for, I guess, game three, um, some tight ninth innings with Kimbrell. But when you reflect back on the fact that they only lost three games on the way to a World Series, I mean, it was uh, <laughs> a relatively, by championship standards, stress-free, stress-free process. So just, yeah, I couldn't be happier. Um, the only, I guess, downside, if we're going to um, – even bring it up is the fact that I had tickets to Tuesday night. But <laughs> look, it's a World Series championship. I, I I said before when I found out I had the tickets, I said that I would much rather make sure that we win the World Series than than you know have have a risk of going to the game but not winning. Um, so I mean, it's just so special. I, I it never gets old. Um, yeah, you know, I just it, it's just it, and and. I have a lot to say maybe about the specific events of the game, but reflecting on another championship is, is getting increasingly difficult. And uh, in, the, in, a, in the rarest of moments, I'm a little bit speechless. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what I, I tweeted. I, I sat there for literally three or four minutes trying to craft the perfect tweet, and um, I couldn't. I just said simply said the Red Sox are world champs. Everybody stepped up, and I'm speechless again. And that's that's all I could say. And you know, I mean, it, you know, we won the series four to one, and we got off to the two nothing start. My confidence was really high. Then you had that marathon heartbreaker that lasted until three thirty a.m. Eastern time, and started to get a little nervous, you know, because I didn't think we were going to win game. four four you know we didn't even know who the starter was going to be and you know there's talk maybe it could be Pomeranz and in hindsight I'm sure that wasn't really remotely a possibility but no one really knew going into it and then it was Erod and he hadn't really looked great out of the pen and they were only using him as a lefty specialist and 
I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just thinking this this could be a tight series that does go six or seven games, but Erod stepped up and he he was left in a little too long and then but you know, the bats came alive. We win that game and my confidence went back through the roof. David Price did his job again. Third win in the postseason after having none coming into it and what a what a series, you know. What a what a way to end it, you know. What what were your? I mean, I'm sure you felt similar to me after two games. Obviously, I mean, we had to be confident. But what was game three like for you? You know, just going through that marathon. Well, well, a lot of it was trying to stay awake. I mean, I, I did everything from fold laundry to literally just stand next to my chair. So I, you know, so I made it as long as I did, which was about the thirteenth or fourteenth inning. But I mean, look, I, um, there was a a range of emotions, um, starting with the fact that I felt like at the time Cora was spending way too many assets to try to win a game that was not a do or die win. Um, and the amazing thing is he spent all those assets and it didn't matter. Um, Avaldi to me, and I've, and I've been, you know, I, not to, to, you know, pat myself on the back, but to pat myself on the back, um, credit to me because I, I said Pierce's, I, I had Pierce on the shortlist for MVP. You did, actually. And I, and I, and I, and I actually tried to bet him, but the, the way I go through the process, it wasn't available, so I took Benintendi. So that sucks because that would have been like a 2200 uh, you know, plus bet. So uh, that one still stinks. But anyways, um, I, I, one of the things I was definitely right on was Evaldi. And, and I mentioned time in and time out that he was pitching, and he has no contract. He has no financial stability other than the dollars he's already made. He's had two Tommy John surgeries. And I think my quote was something to the effect, if I was a Valdi and Chorus came to me and said, hey, can you pitch in relief? I'll said, no, I would have said, no, I'll pitch every fifth day. Thank you. <laughs> he did the exact opposite. And that, that performance was, in my mind, one of the gutsier, just balls dragging on the ground performances in Boston sports history. And that's saying a lot considering we just won, you know, what is our 14th championship since 2002? I know you're not a fan of all four teams, but, you know, just generally for the city and the region. Uh, just, I mean, I, I, and, I, and I think Price us also coming back from the depths of game two of the LDS, another guy who in my mind just dragged his balls on the ground all the way to, to ensuring that we were clearly the best team. Um, but, but, you know, with regards to that whole, that whole 18 innings, um, I think a lesser team would just so easily use that as a crush to fold and they didn't. And, you know, even in the seventh inning, uh, of game four, where it just seemed like we weren't going to get any hits, uh, and the offense was just stagnant and there's nothing going on. And by the way, I don't put any stock in sale yelling like a, like a kid in the, in the dugout. I don't think. Uh, professional athletes respond to stuff like that but maybe that's a topic we can get into later or on a different podcast but um, it just seemed like they were ready and it for whatever reason it, it dragged a little bit but they were they were coming and um, you know they overcame the a, a defeat that would have crushed so many teams and then no one would have blamed them by the way and then you know you hear anecdotes that are actually still coming out today like you know 
they, you know, well, one, the way they received Evaldi in the dugout before they went into the clubhouse, and then some of the comments that they, they literally stand and cheered him in the clubhouse. That stuff just does not happen. And uh, I guess Cora had some comments that they didn't have a, a players-only uh, meeting all year, uh, but they felt the need to address that whole situation. And it, to me, the 18 innings, the next game four tonight, the series in general, um, they the moment was never too big. There was no losing streaks. It's just it was honestly one of the easiest, probably the easiest baseball team to root for that I can remember because there was really not a ton of adversity. And I guess that game, that eighteen inning loss, may have been our greatest adversary adver, adversity, and they qu- so quickly overcame it. Yeah, you know, and with Evaldi. It was an extremely inspiring performance, and it seemed like they only took the positives out of it. And you could kind of see when he walked back in the dugout, it was almost like it wasn't a loss. Like, that's not how... That wasn't really the mood. They were There was nothing but praise at the time, you know, as he came off the field when that game ended, and... I just think they took the positives from it, and and that's kind of what carried them into Game Four, and and they just didn't give up when they were down four to nothing. I just I I went to bed, but that's because I was on an inning a self imposed inning, innings limit, you know, because <laughs> I had to be up so early today for a three hour drive. But um, but it just. <sighs> Every, everybody stepped up. Everybody, I mean, who didn't have a, a big role in this series? Or, or this postseason, Pomerantz, I should say. Thankfully. <laughs> well, Pomerantz, true. But by the way, why the why he's on the roster, I, I honestly, and this is, I think, as, as good of a theory as any. I think Cora wanted to see if he could win the World Series with a 24-man roster. <laughs> because the fact that he was not made available in that, Marathon in Game Three it just shows you that he's just. Well, I mean, if you're if you're Pomerantz, and and one of the things you notice, Terry, is Fox like almost seemingly avoided showing him. Like they showed Pedroia every three innings, which, by the way, I I could rant on that for about twenty five minutes, but they never showed Pomerantz, and I think it just goes to show you that, at least nat you know nationally, maybe it was not on purpose, but within that team, there was no faith in that bum. Actually, with Pomeranz, um, he was warming in the pen, and I think he would have came in for the nineteenth inning. If no, um, no, I, no, I know that, but oh, that okay. that was, I mean, the nineteenth inning. <laughs> no, know, I know, I mean, yeah, you know, and 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 you and look, here's the crazy thing, right? Avaldi had plans to pitch Game Four before that whole situation. And they still said, well, we'll figure out game four over, like, putting Pomerantz in this game. You know, and then as as you go, okay, okay, now he's at 35 pitches. It's like, okay, well, maybe he can pitch game five. Now it's at 50 pitches, and you're like, game six. And then he gets to 94 pitches, and you're like, well, geez, I don't think he's going to be pitching in this series again. And by the way, he was warming up in the eighth inning tonight. He was, yeah. Everybody was. It was like he was playing games. Cora was playing games with Dave Roberts. So we'll be like... All right, let's see if Kelly and uh, Barnes makes him nervous. All right, let's uh, let's add Evaldi in there. And I'm thinking, all right, yeah, that's pretty good. And then before you knew it, Sales in there. And it's like, holy shit. And, and he was really good in that last inning, by the way. Yeah. Um, 
he was dominant. They never had a chance of putting a, even putting a ball in play. So, and it's it's I'm, I'm glad it worked out that way because he battled and he obviously was hurt. And we're gonna find out that he's gonna have his shoulder scoped or he's gonna have some something's gonna come out maybe as early as tomorrow morning, if not even tonight, where we find out what's finally going on with him because obviously it's not a belly button situation. But the fact that he came in um, and was as dominant as he was for one inning, um, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's an unbelievable feeling and and you know I know we're not this is not going to be the podcast where we talk about free agency and next year but um, you know Avaldi may have priced himself right out of Boston but everyone else is coming back but for Pierce and Kinsler um, you know so it's just one of those situations where it, it's a it's a World Series but they didn't do the Marlins version of winning a World Series which is the emptying the cupboard to do it. Um, you know, there's going to be some changes, but it's not going to be wholesale, and the and the core is coming back. Um, and you know, as far as the Astros having a chance this year to repeat, I think the Red Sox are going to be in a very similar situation next year. So, the season's over, and uh, you know, it's it's always one of those bittersweet things where there's no baseball tomorrow. But th- this team is loaded, and we've won a World Series, and 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 it's just it's an exciting time to be a Red Sox fan. Yeah, and uh, Kimbrell also won't be back. You probably agree on that. Yeah, no, there's no way. Yeah. I think the only guy that has a chance of coming back is Avaldi because I think the risk of his of his health uh, may, you know, and one of those things too where you could never account for this team was so goddamn close, and and maybe it's something I sh- we should have already talked about, but the way they responded to. Avaldi, the way they responded to Price, Kelly, the guys coming off the mound, the interactions in the dugout, it seemed different. It seemed like there was a genuine high level of care for the individual. Um, and so it wasn't obviously lost on the players that Price finally overcame his playoff demons. Um, and, and all these other, you know, and I'm not going to get into every single instance of of the clubhouse reacting positively to, a, to an arm. But, you know, um, it's just... It's it. You hope that this team was so close that maybe Evaldi will take a two-year, fifteen million or twenty million dollar deal to come back, or or some some discount because obviously uh, otherwise there are certain guys like that that have just completely outkicked the coverage and they've priced themselves out of Boston. So um, I hope that I hope that that feeling that they're going through right now as they're all getting shit faced in the clubhouse by the way what i would do to be in that situation just randomly um you know it, it you know i hope maybe it has some carry over to keep a couple guys around yeah i'm going through my my socks media feed and it's all um it's all celebrations i did see uh someone asked dombrowski about david price Price's opt-out, and uh, Dombrowski says, of course we'd like to have him back. We haven't thought about it yet or talked about it. It's ultimately, obviously, Price's call anyway. Um, but that that got asked. But there's not really much going on uh, in the line of business. It's mostly uh, still celebrations. Um, Ovaldi, though, I, I think he's about a two-year, 24-mil type guy. Lance Lynn got about 12 million uh you know on one year coming back from tommy john i think that's about where evaldi would fall and i think the red sox have a decent shot at uh bringing kelly back at a decent price as well i don't think i don't think he's going to get this huge haul but um 
but we'll so see. So let's just talk about that a little bit because two weeks ago we were so down on Kelly where we were like, well, if he has a role, it's in the fifth inning when the, sh- the starter can't get deep into the game. And he's now, you know, by the time the World Series rolled around, he was basically back in his role that he was in April. So it's one of those situations where the so many different narratives price sale to a certain extent mookie jd these guys all uh contributed um and to the point where Avaldi, kelly price you know there's certain guys who were like well you know and you were basically begging uh price i think i i may have mentioned starting to go fund me page to get price out of boston <laughs> after game two of the alds and now i might lose sleep tonight over the fact that he may not he may opt out and if he does where where does that leave this team so i i, I need price back um he's obviously uh embraced this city in, in his postgame uh comments right after while still on the field you know he said i came here to win a world series and you know you know and he the way he acted and the way he pitched and the way he pitched out of the bullpen and warmed up and put himself in every possible spot the team needed him. It just seemed like a different guy. Um, so he seemingly gets it. Uh, and I just go after game two of the ALDS. I mean, I, 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 I said so many negative things. Um, and he well-deserved at the time, so I'm not going to backtrack on him. But he obviously, he obviously, you know, when he said my confidence has not wavered, he meant it. And... All the way to, he pitched two games on short rest, both wins, both against really good teams, both to end series. It's a, it's just unbelievably impressive, um, you know. And then Kelly, you know, he stunk. He pitched himself basically out of meaningful innings by September. I mean, he, you know, Terry, we did an episode where we talked about the twenty-five man roster, and and you and I both like seemingly agreed that he would be on it, but like he shouldn't be on the playoff roster. Um, so we kind of we, we knew that they were kind of hoping that he would find something, and I mean it's like all of a sudden the playoffs start, and he's like he's like the the, the Kelly from from the Austin uh, brawl, fearless, dominant, and all of a sudden he's throwing his breaking pitch for a strike for the first time in in, in, in you know in five months. Uh, fastballs on the corner, never made misses in the middle of the plate. I don't think he gave up a really hit uh, a hard hit ball all year. Just uh, truly unbelievable and. I, I also, it's not lost on me with Kimbrell's contract situation that he was not asked to pitch the ninth tonight. Uh, and I tweeted, I think, and like by the time it was 4-1, to one, so in the fifth inning, I was like, please no Kimbrell. Like I was be- begging, like somehow someone read my tweet to Alex Cora. Um, so, you know, it's not lost on me that obviously they went a different direction. And um, I see that he actually was tearing up on the field afterwards. So I think it's all pretty clear that he's gone. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure that I, you know, that he's convinced of that. But, um, but the thing about the bullpen is, you know, we we did agree that Kelly would be on it, but and that he shouldn't be. But this was a terrible bullpen in the month of September. It was just absolutely putrid. And looking back on the the month of October now. Who was bad out of the bullpen? Name one guy that was bad. No, I mean you can't. You know, except for except for game one and two of the ALDS, where Brazier was now uncharacteristically all over the place, and you know, um, 
Erod gave up the bomb to Sanchez and all that stuff. So, but I mean, other than that, it, since then it was they were lights out. They were the best bullpen in the playoffs. It actually wound up being one of our strengths, um, especially where, like for example, in Game Four we were slow to start, and the pitching staff kept kept us in the game. Um, obviously, Erod's a big part of that. Um, you know, by the way, tough, just big time balls on that guy to come in where he hasn't hadn't made a start in three weeks and give you everything he had. I thought the home run had nothing to do with him. I think it had everything to do with Chorus, maybe one or two mistakes. That was so clearly a mistake. Um, I, and honestly, I think you putting him in a position where he felt like he he failed in that moment is just it's it that was that it should have never got to that. But yeah, I mean, you know, other than that, all the all the buttons pushed were right. The bullpen was great. It was a strength. We were better, you know. Jansen and Diaz, um, absolute studs. Um, you know, Jensen gave up two leads. Um, you know, and and Diaz was not. You know, he was okay tonight. Uh, not great. He gave up some runs uh, in in game four, or so or three, I think it was. I can't remember exactly, but anyways, um, yeah. I mean, you thought that that would be the weakness, and it just wasn't. Yeah, and it started getting to the point where I was like, you know, thank goodness, you know, their bullpen is now in the game because, like you said, Jansen gave up runs in at least two appearances in the World Series, and um, Madsen just seemed like he got shelled every time, and uh, a lot of those were inherited runners, but still, his job was to hold them, and uh, he was not doing that, and I just if we could just get the pitcher out of there and tonight, I mean, I was watching some of the at bats versus Kershaw and none of our lefties were going to look good against him. So we were going to have to try to hold that two run lead. And maybe, maybe someone hits a solo on, on Kershaw to make it three to nothing or three to one or whatever. And that did end up happening, but you know, not till further into the game. And I'm like, Devers wasn't looking good against Kershaw. Uh, Benintendi wasn't really looking very good. Um, I think Vasquez was hitting eighth. He was actually okay. You know, he had some really good at bats throughout the series. And, and then Price, you know, batting out of the nine hole, it's just like, and then Mookie was, 0 for 13 before finally hitting a uh, solo. So I was like, we're just going to have to weather the storm until the bullpen comes in. And and then, you know, maybe we can kind of create a little bit of separation. But luckily, uh, Martinez and Pierce both soloed uh, before Kershaw got out of there. And that gave us a bit of a cushion. And then didn't Pierce hit a second home run as well, I think? Off of he did. Uh, yeah, off of a reliever. So I mean, it's just it's just a good thing. And and Hill last night was just every bit the nightmare. There was a number one because he's a lefty, obviously, and number two, I guess the Red Sox were one of the worst hitting teams throughout the season against lefties with off speed pitches. And I didn't, obviously I wasn't shocked by that, but it just kind of confirmed my fears. And, uh, you know, he went, what, six and a third, something like that. And 
was just phenomenal. And that was right before I went to bed. I'm like, geez, I hope he doesn't come out for the seventh. And then they brought him out and Nunez struck out. And that's when I went to bed. And then the fun literally started immediately <laughs> right after that. I woke up to like a ton of text messages. But, um, but yeah, we, we found ways to win, you know, and, and uh, in the end, we wanted it more. And that had a lot you know, to do it, with it. And, and to a certain extent, I felt like, and I don't, I feel like, you know, maybe the Red Sox were just so talented that teams felt like they weren't going to beat them straight up. Uh, in the ALCS, when we went up 2-1 to one and Hinch, for the first time in two and a half years, completely revamped his lineup, I remember wa- watching, um, I think it was the local pregame, and they were reading the lineup with the graphic, and I just said, this is a really weird thing to do. You it was two to one. You're one game. You know, you win tonight and it's even. And I just said, and, and this team's been so good for two years. It just seemed really odd that Hinch felt the need to completely jumble things up. And it seemed like, and I theorized at the time, that he felt like they weren't the better team and that they weren't going to win just going out and doing what they do. And then, the, and then with the Dodgers, the Dodgers, you know, went all righty against Sale and Price in game one and two. And, you know, they have key, I mean, Muncie. One was the only person who won them a game. I think Peterson had a home run. These are guys they relied on all year. Um, they were their best hitters. Um, key guys all over the place. I mean, Muncie played second base uh, two games in the series, um, and he's a first baseman. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> and, and J.D., by the way, wouldn't play first. But um, So I just felt like they... You know, Roberts felt the same need that A.J. Hinch did after game three, which was, you know, we need to somehow do something out of the box to beat these guys because, um, you know, again, I just I think the perception was we can't beat them just going in and doing what we've done all year. And the Red Sox were the exact opposite. They just went in and said, look, we're going to do the same thing. You know, and the, the, you know, the fans are getting upset. Like, what is Kinsler doing starting? Well, that's what we do in that situation all year long. And, oh, now Nunez is starting. What the, what the fuck are you doing, Alex? Well, guess what? Nunez has started in, that, in those sorts of matchups all year long. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And Alex knew, I'm sure, uh, maybe he may not admit this, that they were the best team. And that's all they had to do was be themselves. And they didn't have to get creative and, and fuck with the lineups and, and you know, and then, and then, for whatever reason, and I'd actually like an answer to this: Why the hell Dave Roberts kept bringing out Madsen is absolutely beyond me. When he had, he showed a willingness to bring other, you know, Jansen in um, in non-safe situations early in the game, you know, seventh, eighth inning. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Madsen has pictures, like compromising pictures of Dave Roberts. I have no idea, but it just seemed to me to just never be the right spot. And I sat forward in my seat, and I was waiting for the big hit yesterday when he when I when I found him back in the game. It's just shocking. So, but the red, you know, Alex Cora, besides a couple of pitching decisions I didn't agree with. I mean, he just just did what he did all year, and it was good enough. Yeah, I think with Madsen. Him coming in just speaks to the fact that the Dodgers are a hardcore analytics team that lean on them probably more than any other team in baseball. I mean, I guess the Phillies, I didn't watch many of their games, and they you know, they kind of fell out of it late in the year, but I, I guess they're going to be that type of a team. But the Dodgers, of all the 
you know, contending teams. Well, maybe the Brewers, uh, you know, the, I guess they're on a similar level. But I think they just, with Madsen, they just decided that eventually it's going to average out. And, and the, you know, the numbers that they have, that their computer spits out, is who Madsen is. And, and he's going to have to revert to that. Like, that's how it's going to be. And I, I think they just stubbornly kept going to him when... It just wasn't working, and I don't know why it wasn't working. Uh, you know, he's typically a very solid late-inning guy, but maybe maybe the moment was too big for him. Uh, maybe maybe it was just a bad, the Red Sox just, you know, we're going to hit him anyway. I have no idea, but I was kind of, you know, especially after last night, I was like, wow, I just can't believe they, they keep letting this guy burn them. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, so that's... Well, you know, the, the Red Sox are heavy analytics, too. And they were heavy analytics um, throughout this playoff run. But it, you know, and maybe this was the difference. They eventually realized that the eye test also has to be a factor. And, they, and, they, and maybe Nunez was hurt, so maybe that's a factor. But Devers did start against lefties finally and had a big hit last night. And tonight... Um, you know, he started. He was in the game. Um, same with Holt. So they played the analytics. They they played the matchups as they are on paper. For Christ's sake, the Red Sox are the team that has employed Bill James for a number of years. So the Red Sox are, you know, a heavy analytics team. One, I, I and I'm getting a sense from L.A. that ownership got involved or, or the front office got involved with some of the decisions. Um and, I've, and it seems to me that Boston has a division of church and state where Cora has the freedom to do what he wants, and he's not going to have, you know, the Al Davis, you know, phoning down to the sideline to say, hey, we want the deep pass down the sideline. They, they let him be what he wanted to be, and eventually he got to the point where he understood that despite the analytics, given the circumstances, recent events, the eye test, Devers and Holt were the right thing, and a huge factor, huge factor. And, 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 you know, by the way, Holt played awesome tonight defensively. Made a play up the middle I thought was very similar to the one Kinsler wound up throwing away um, with that peak, uh, the, the whole Puig situation in game three. So, you know, again, I, you know, I agree. I do think the Dodgers are heavily relying on analytics, so much so that it seems like maybe they're getting external forces from outside the clubhouse where the Red Sox also heavy analytic team but didn't have those same external forces and were able to make decisions that ultimately had an effect on the series. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox aren't n near as analytical as as the Dodgers, though. I mean, I mean, we were just talking about how he wasn't putting Muncie, Bellinger, and all those guys that you would absolutely expect to be in games one and two. You know, sit them one game, I guess, but to do it two in a row and then lose them, I mean, that's absolutely crazy. Um, you wouldn't see Mookie on the bench, you know, for whatever reason. And in the offseason, the Red Sox, the biggest part of analytics that they embraced was actually the defensive positioning and alignments, you know, based on the matchups. You didn't see previously them pulling cards out of their pockets, you know, during the feral years with them you know, with all the information on them as far as where they should be. And that's really what the Red Sox focused on. And 
I think I think Cora, you know, with pitching, just kind of, you know, kind of like what you said, the eye test. I don't think. I, I don't think he followed any hard rule, you know, throughout the series and and in game three, you know, he went for it, you know, and I don't I don't know that we really expected him to, you know, before the game. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to predict eighteen innings anyway, but um, yeah, I don't know. The Dodgers, trust me, are on another level and. I was actually listening to um, ESPN LA earlier in the week. I forget the two co-hosts, but um, they were they were basically talking about how Dave Roberts has to follow a script, and there's meetings before the game with with the analytics people, and I think uh, Andrew Friedman as well, who's like the GM or president, whatever he calls himself, and they discuss scenarios before the game, so. So Roberts isn't taking orders during the game like he's not calling upstairs. He's he's got everything before the game, you know, plan A, B, and C with, you know, with the bullpen and you know the lineup, whatever pinch hitting, and he has to follow that. And the Red Sox and Alex Cora don't. You know, he has, he does literally have all the freedom. And there was an article either last year or the year before where Dombrowski was interviewed. I forget, it might have been Evan Drellick or Alex Spear that interviewed him. And Dombrowski said very point blank during the interview, he goes, I don't, I don't tell my managers what to do. In fact, I stay as far out of it as possible. I, I don't have any bearing as far as to what John Farrell does during the game. And that makes perfect sense because, I mean, it was a nightly basis where we're like, oh, my God, here comes Tozawa again. You know, why? And, you know, and and then Dombrowski brings in Ziegler because we desperately needed a late-inning guy, especially when Kimbrell missed, like, three weeks because he had his knee scoped. And Farrell wasn't even using him. And, and, and Ziegler has a, a career one-and-a-half whip, and Farrell was bringing him in with guys on base. You know that's not what you do with you know, with with guys with a with a one five zero whip. You know they're gonna they're gonna give up hits and they're gonna walk people and and uh, so I think that was part of the friction that ultimately kind of did Farrell in. You know he just wasn't he wasn't utilizing the guys like like Dombrowski had hoped, but but like 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 I said, Dombrowski wasn't the type of guy that's gonna. He's never been the type of GM. He's really old school and lets the manager, um, you know, manage the team. And and you know. yeah, I mean, look, not to get into the Farrell thing because I'm not, but Farrell sucked in game. He sucked. Absolutely. I'm better managing my my MLB the Show franchise on PlayStation Four username Shill KSC twenty. Uh, than than Farrell was managing the bullpen and you and managing assets. Where, for example, Cora on the flip side made every freaking right decision. It's to the point where you're like, no, 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 until you're like, oh my god, yes, like great decision. Um, you know, so you know, not to get down that road, but he sucked. He sucked, and he caught lightning in a bottle in thirteen. And because he won a World Series in the city, he kept this job for two more years than he should have. But getting back to the analytics thing, and I and I'm trying to find the name, but I can't. The head nerd 
of, as the Felgren Maz show puts it, the, the head nerd, and I, his title is uh, lead statistician or some some math you know position. Um, and he he's been with the team for like twelve years. He's been there you know as long as at least Bill James has been involved with the with the organization. And um, he said in a quote after game two that he has never felt more a part of the game-to-game operations than he has with Alex Cora as the manager. And I thought that was really telling um, because for a couple of reasons. One is, obviously, by the time this World Series ended, Cora had showed he wasn't just going to be a slave to the analytics. Um, But it shows how much he relied on the analytics team portion of the of the you know i guess management or coaching or however you want to characterize them but it showed that he valued the input and i understand that based on some of the interviews i've heard recently that he actually met with those folks every single day and a lot of those cards that you see mookie pulling out of their pocket were from that specific part of the organization and i thought that it really showed when for the first time, as I can remember in Major League Baseball, they were actually switching outfield spots where they took J.D. out of left and put him in right for the Machado at bat, I think, in game four. And I think they maybe did it one other time. Uh, it just seems, again, like, you know, and maybe part, it's part analytics and part Cora being so comfortable in his own skin. Um, but he felt, he was, you know, and again, the whole Rover thing. He was so confident in his roster or confident in his ability to make the right decision for the ball club that he did things that we haven't really seen. The Rover thing isn't you know, necessarily maybe the first time we've ever seen that thing. I mean, it's been now given a name. But he utilized it just perfectly. I mean, Evaldi in Game 3, you just – unbelievable spot there. To, for, I mean, and he knew it. He knew it, he, and he knew he could ride him out. and. You know, Muncy hits an oppo, oppo taco, and you know it, it tried to it, it, it for a short period of time flipped the script. But Cora was Cora knew what he was doing. I mean, all the way through, and it's part analytics, but at the same time, like you mentioned, Dombrowski never got in in the way. And I think we're gonna find some things out about this series, and that's why before this podcast, Terry, I suggested we maybe do it again in three days. Because we're, you know, there's going to be things we find out. We're going to find out about sales injury. We're going to find out, you know, the guy that's got to go get a knee scope, whoever that may be, probably Nunez. We're going to find some stuff out about the Dodgers. Like they've lost back-to-back World Series now. Um, I think we're going to find out that 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 front office, um, you know, who has gone through the process of, of of putting Magic Johnson ahead of. You know, out in front of their organization, even though he has nothing to do with baseball. Sorry, you know, they're doing things that are not consistent with just letting the team, you know, the, the the on-field product run the operations. I feel like there's definitely some management or front office input that just, in my mind, is not appropriate. And it shows a lack of trust in your roster or your coaching staff. Yeah, and just so you know, I, I do plan on doing one probably... Uh, I don't know Wednesday or Thursday or so, um, so we'll, we'll figure that out, um, you know, within the next day or two. But um, uh, with the Dodgers, I, I'm not going to get too into the analytics now. But 
I kind of like the human element, and I, I kind of like, you, you know, the eye test and just kind of, you know, managing on, you know, intuition, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I hate, I absolutely hate the idea that some teams are basically going to run everything based on computer printouts. And I love nothing more for these hardcore analytic organizations to lose and fail, you know, to, to or organizations that are still a little old school, you know, we, you know, like we said, the Red Sox have taken on somewhat of an analytic uh, mindset, you know, with the alignments and whatnot, but it's just, but they're I, not a slave to it. That's the point. Yes, they're not a slave. To it. Exactly. And the thing that I've always harped on is when you embrace analytics and that becomes the be all and end all what you're saying is you know joe blow who can't hit lefties you know who who you know is only hitting like 180 against lefties this year but he's a great hitter against righties what you're saying is that player will never ever evolve you know into a great all-around hitter with you know, more normal splits. And we, I think we saw that with Travis Shaw. That's why Travis Shaw isn't with the Red Sox right now because Farrell, and and I'm not going to go on a tangent about him, but Farrell lost confidence in him in certain situations and basically relegated him to becoming just a platoon guy. And yeah, we needed a reliever. So maybe that helped the trade, but I mean, can you imagine how much better we would be with Travis Shaw? You know, as good as Mitch Moreland's been, but that—that's that. Travis Shaw is the perfect example of of the analytics mindset failing a player, and uh, you know. So I love what Cora does. You know, he's all inclusive. Maybe we wanted to see Devers a little bit more than what we got, but you know, it worked out. And Nunez had some some moments and. Pierce kind of got a little bit more playing time than anticipated because of the hamstring thing with Moreland, but everybody got a shot here, you know, and and I like that. And I've been critical on Cora, you know. I still don't like Mookie Betts in the in the leadoff spot. I'll probably bitch about that'll be on my headstone, you know. Mookie should have been a three hole hitter or something like that. But the one thing I do like about Cora is he's not stubborn with a lot of things. He's willing to make adjustments. And, you know, he does have a high baseball IQ. And and when you mentioned the Rover situation, that's another great example. And I don't, they obviously had that plan coming into the month of October. But I I don't think even they knew how brilliant it was going to be until we were at least through the Yankee series and and now it's probably going to be a thing you know going forward for future world series teams and that's awesome you know i'm glad i'm glad we kind of revolutionized that you know and and it it got us the world series basically and and kind of like i said i don't know it was the last episode of the one before but I think having Porcello in the bullpen, having Evaldi in the bullpen, and even Price and Sale, you know, late in games, I think that just kind of, I just think the other relievers responded to that and, and stepped up and rose to the occasion. And, 
you know so i i guess you can kind of say i'm a cora guy now you know even though i'm probably you and i are probably going to bitch about a certain aspect of of his lineups next year you know on a daily or or at least weekly basis you know we're gonna get well let's not let's not get it twisted here terry just because we won this year doesn't mean i don't want to win next year and <laughs> uh, he was great right he was great and yeah. uh, his issues that i you know that i found actually came you know since we've done our last podcast i mean um we did one after game two um this, these games went so late, our schedule's a little off. But you know, we were basically just admitting that he was been—he's basically been a dominant manager, as if you could even say that, um, because I think managing in Major League Baseball is the least effective of the four major sports. But he was—he was every decision was right, every every move was right, every time you go that that pitcher's being too pulled too early or too late, it wound up being right. He, he screwed Erod. He fucked Erod. He did. Like, that was just not a fair situation. And I know you're going to say, well, Jeremy, he's a pro athlete. What's fair? No, that sucked. I'm sorry. That fucking sucked. That pissed me off in the moment. And the team comes back and wins it, and we didn't do a podcast last night, so we didn't get to talk about it too much. I'm sorry. That sucked. And and Erod, Erod, I can't say enough about that start. He was awesome. Until he couldn't be anymore, and then he was still out there. And you saw him three batters before that situation, stand at the top of the dugout, and he's looking at the pitching coach like, what do you think, what do you think? But it was a lefty. It was, I think it was Jock Peterson. So he loves Jock Peterson, but then he walks him. And it's like, he's done, bro. He's done. Like, stop. Like, it's over. And and then you leave him in there to, to, to – uh, it wasn't Jock Peterson. It might have been Muncie. I can't remember specifically. But then Puig hits a ball that's still traveling. And it's like, why'd you do that? And I think a part of Erod throwing the glove, which seemed to be so out of character for him, was he want one, he wanted that out so bad. But he knew he was fucked. He knew he had no chance in that at bat. So, I mean, Cora was really, really good. He wasn't perfect. A couple, couple of points I just want to hit on quickly. Uh, you know, just as an anecdote, Travis Shaw was traded for Tyler Thornburg. Tyler Thornburg sucks. He does. Um, he's terrible. He's a dumpster fire. He will never have a role in this in this organization. But part of the reason why they were willing to move on from Travis Shaw was Rafi Devers was in the pipeline and they knew it. Uh, so, uh, you know, just a little anecdote there. But then the second thing, there's two things I want to just mention. The Sox, and they talked about it briefly last night. It's one of those things that I've kind of noticed but haven't talked a lot about. The Sox have not followed the launch or strikeout trend. So the analytics say that if you can hit one three-run home run per game, striking out 12 to 15 times doesn't matter. And this this lineup didn't follow that trend, whether it was the the hitting coach who, by the way, Every single player hugged that guy, and I think he's not a loud personality guy, so we didn't hear much from him. I happen to follow him on Twitter because I'm a dork, but those guys all hugged him. Um, there were some special moments, and I thought that that uh, whether it was Core or the hitting coach, and his name immediately escapes me, but I think his first name is Steve. Um, they decided we're not going to be a strikeout or launch team. We can hit home runs, being aggressive in the strike zone, getting to the proper count, and hitting the ball in the air. We don't need to be striking out all the time. And 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 why I think that's important 
was because this team had a knack for knocking starters out. And starters, by the way, that were dominating, like Rich Hill uh, in game four is a perfect example where Rich Hill was really, really good in that game. But that first inning, he threw 21 pitches. By the second, he was at 35. And then you look up, and it's the sixth inning. He's in 94 pitches. And a guy who had been pretty dominant throughout that game, they found a way to get him out. A product of that is not a willingness to, or a rolling over and allowing strikeouts to happen. It's battling. It's fighting. It's it's shortening up a little bit. And you, we could still hit there. And maybe this is because they're just so fucking talented. But they could still hit the three-run home run. They just didn't need to say, hey, we, we're going to strike out 12 times to get it. Uh, so that's one thing where I think they've bucked the trend of the modern Major League Baseball approach to hitting. Um, the second thing is, and I, I don't know if this is Lavange or the pitching coach or Cora, but they just said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw the best fucking guy. I, I don't care if it's Evaldi. I don't care if it's Price. I don't care if it's Porcello tonight. I don't care if it's Sale to close the game out. We're not going to throw anyone but who we think is the best guy for that particular inning. So really short bullpen. We didn't see Pomerantz at all, thank God. But we didn't see a lot of guys. Like We actually didn't see Brazier much for whatever reason in the World Series. They went, our best guys are Kelly, Kimbrell, and then basically the reliever. And then we saw a sprinkling of Barnes and a sprinkling of Brazier. And that was it. It was the best guy there's no tomorrow. There's no next series. There's no, you know, this this is it. And um, I think you also have to give some credit to the roster for saying we're willing to do this. Um, so, and by the way, I mean, look, at the end of the time, it's easy to say now, but the signs were there that they were just so clearly the best team in Major League Baseball. Yeah, they definitely were. Just to kind of touch on some of those things, there's a, you know, you, know, you covered a lot of ground just there. Um, with Shaw, he would have been a first baseman, and Hanley would have been the, the DH, because we're going back a couple of years before JD was really on the radar and whatnot, and, and, and before yep. before Moreland. So that's kind of where I kind of had him pegged. But um, with the Erod thing, I fully agree that Cora left him in to you know, at least one batter too long, and they even, they even fucked up further by just simply not walking uh, – Oh, I'm getting my games mixed up. Never mind. I'm thinking game three. Yeah, we were talking about talking about right before the Kinsler era. Yes, yeah, I got crossed up. They should have walked Puig and then and then uh, you know pitched to Austin Barnes, who's about as bad as Sandy Leone, you know, for perspective. And um, it would have been a quick out. That's a tough comment for Barnes. (laughs) Yeah, let's not not dance on graves, Terry. Come on. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of an error on uh, Cora's part, and then and then yeah, with Erod. Um, and the frustrating thing is the guy was so brilliant. I mean, if what if I told you, okay, Erod's gonna start this game and he's gonna give up three runs but go six full innings? You're thrilled with that, aren't you? Three runs, six innings from Erod. Well, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled with it, and I would say, what would make you think that's gonna happen? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then he gives up, what was it, just one run or no runs? I don't yeah. remember. One run, okay. And and then you just you just milked it. To, you spoiled the whole start, Cora did. And and luckily the, the lineup saved his ass and, and won the game. I, I mean, could you imagine if, if, if we're 2-2 two, two 
I mean, what the hell goes on? They said that Sale would have started Game Five if if that's the case. But what the hell is left of him at this point? And it just would have been an extremely stressful series at that point. And an- another thing too is when we lost Game Three, that marathon. I couldn't help but think of Game Three against the Yankees in the in the 2004 ALDS. We lost that game. We we lost that game 19 to eight or something like that. And then and then we go into Game Four, and that game was a marathon. The Red Sox win that one in like 15 innings. Poppy hits the walk off, and then the game after that goes 13 or 14 innings. Poppy walks it off again. And we kind of broke their will at that point and then kind of cruised through games six and seven to to be the first team to ever win four in a row in the ALCS. And I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking with the Evaldi start, like hopefully they didn't break, they didn't break us with that and now they're going to go on this disgusting run, you know. And we're seeing our team get managed like we have said, in ways that no other team's been managed. So how far can you ride that? You know, can can you ride that to the end? And we ultimately did, but go back a couple of years with the Indians where, where they had a three-man rotation and they were up three to one in the World Series and then they just got tired and lost three games in a row to the Cubs. So, and the, the lastly, the other thing too is I'm like, we've won three world series you know i'm not going to count 86 i was three i you know four four we've won four now right but but we were three and oh coming into this one and i kept telling myself i said i kept saying you know sometime in your lifetime you're going to lose a world series you know, you're not going to win them all. So th- that's just my own way of not letting my expectations get too high. That way I don't have this epic, you know, you know, rug getting pulled out from under me type moment. And, uh, but it, it all worked out. It, it worked out. And, and I think we said, you know, in the, in the ALCS, we're going to, the team that wins this match is going to win the World Series. Like, the National League just wasn't scary all year long. And, you know, when you get to the World Series and you get in that moment, it's easy to psych yourself out and, you know, start thinking bad things. But in the end, I mean, we were right. You know, we beat the Astros and and we should win the World Series now. And, it's just crazy to go through the whole month of October and we lost three games, you know, and granted there's a lot of off days in there, you know, after every two or three games, but you know, what a ride, man. I just, you know, so which brings me to, to a, just a broader point, which is Oh four versus 18. Um, because Oh four obviously broke the curse. Um, and that team is widely considered one of the best Red Sox teams of all time, if not the best Red Sox of all team of all time. John Henry said on the stage on the field after the game that this was the best Red Sox team in history, and it's really hard to disagree with that because it was so easy. Their longest losing streak, I think, was three games, and that was in September when they were, you know, getting things in order for October or four games. I can't remember. That's a joke. That's a that's a goddamn joke. Four game like. Come on, um, you know they just they started out seventeen and 
four or six or whatever it was. It just was so little adversity. And it's always going to be hard slotting a team like that in historically because 04 overcame a whole bunch of different things that I don't necessarily need to get into right now. But that team was put together to beat the curse. And obviously they did, and they overcame, you know, you know, coming off the Aaron Boone home run, they, they, they came back from down three games in the ALCS. And they had Pedro, and they had Kurt, and, you know, obviously they had, you know, Lowe. And um, that team had to fight. That team had to overcome way more than this team had to overcome. And I understand that they beat the curse, but in my mind, and maybe I'll feel differently the next time we have a chance to talk about this, but, you know, we're, we're now two hours after the, the last out. This team is the best Red Sox team in the history of the Boston Red Sox um, because it was so easy, because they dominated from cover to cover, because there was so little adversity. They never had a team meeting. They never had a reason to get together and hash out any issues. Nothing became public. Um, Dombrowski didn't address the bullpen and, and kept saying the bullpen's fine, the bullpen's fine. They add Pierce. He winds up being the MVP. They add Kinsler. He played a role. Um, it's just it's amazing as we sit here right now knowing we're the World Series champions that by championship standards, this was so fucking easy. There was so little adversity. And that's why it, even compared to the 4 team, this, to me, is the best Red Sox team. And they're still young, and the core's still young, and there's so many guys coming back. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have strong feelings about this, but, I mean, I really like the 07 team. I, I really think that was a great team. You know, Beckett had the season of his life that year, and um, Kurt Schilling, albeit at 40, was still you know, a top pitcher and um, had a great postseason record anyway throughout his whole career. And I don't know. I just, that that was a really good team. And, and Mike Lowell said that that was the best team he's ever played for. And I just, you know, where we say this year was easy and we, we only lost three games the whole month. So, yeah, I guess it, it must have been easy. But we had to beat two 100 win teams in the in the postseason and on paper that looks great but it was easy <laughs> it was easy so there, there were there were a lot of different factors like a lot of teams had flaws and I, I just think the Red Sox addressed theirs the best and the Yankees couldn't overcome their rotation and I don't know what the hell Houston's problem was really I mean to get blown out like that, I mean, I don't know if you can tie it to the the controversy with the with the staffer that was recording. Maybe not, but I mean, that was the turning point. You know, after that got addressed, they never won a single game. So I put I put no stock in that. I think the the biggest factor was one Altuve who had surgery the day after the Red Sox eliminated them was not Altuve. And that was a major factor. And then two, like I've already mentioned, I thought Hint showed a complete lack of trust in his roster by comp- completely overhauling his lineup after they went down two to one. I, I, you know, so, you know, and just just to put a button on the whole historical thing because I think it's something we'll talk about more in depth the next time around. That 07 team was really good, and they won ninety six games, and and they swept the Rockies, and and they. 
they dominated in the playoffs and everything else. Um, I'm looking at their lineup and some of the things on Wikipedia, and um, 108 wins and how easy the regular season was. They beat a 103-win Yankees team. Um, they beat a 100-win Astros team, first team in the history of baseball to beat 200-win teams on the way to the World Series. They've done things that, when you put the numbers in place historically, is a factor. Um, I don't think it can be just glossed over that the regular season was over by September 1st. I think that's a factor in why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because obviously, 07, they were a dominant team, and they did, I think they they won cover to cover, and they didn't have a ton of adversity. Although, looking at their uh, opening day roster, there was a lot of differences between their World Series roster. But, um, by the way, Alex Cora was on that team. He just was. as a little anecdote. So, um, you know, but, you know, um, regardless, now we're getting to the position, Terry, that we're arguing who was the best of the, <laughs> of the four World Series teams in the last 15 years. So, champagne problems, which is something I tweeted earlier today when they were arguing on Twitter about who was going to be the MVP. So, you know, champagne problems are good to have. And, um, look, this team was was awesome. And, you know, they not to say they didn't have adversity because Sale obviously was a, a shell of himself by the time October, uh, I'm sorry, August 15th rolled around. He was hurt. He was dealing with something again. We're going to find something out, whether it's come out tonight or it's going to come out tomorrow in the coming days. Um, you know, they did, if you recall, uh, I was looking at the 108 win uh, mural on Twitter today because the Red Sox were tweeting certain portions of that wall which is really cool. Um, and one of the first wins of the year had Hanley. And and this team cut Hanley, and I know the circumstances around it were kind of weird, but by the way, nothing came of that whole legal issue. That seems to be a complete non-starter. But they moved on from Hanley, and that could be the sort of thing that could be a derisive in a clubhouse, and it wasn't. They completely moved on from it. Um, I, I, my understanding is that Hanley was relatively not not a problem in the clubhouse, maybe not the best guy in the clubhouse, but you know you cut a guy like that and you think that could be a problem, and it wasn't. Uh, instead, they go out and get Pierce, and he wins the MVP. So, you know, there were some things along the way: the sale injury, moving on from Hanley. You know, remember they lost Vasquez for uh, 45 days to the broken finger, so it wasn't completely without adversity. Just by relative standards, it, there wasn't a lot to really worry about. Yeah, just uh, some stuff going on right now uh, behind the scenes. Uh, some pro- I, I wish I could see it because uh, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna know the context of it. But here's a quote from David Price: "I hold all the cards now. I can't tell you how good that feels to hold that Trump card. And you guys have had it for a long time. You've played that card extremely well, but you don't have it anymore. None of you do." And that feels really good. Another quote. Uh, All right, well, hold on. Hold on. Can I comment on that? Sure. Hey, David, how about you go fuck yourself, you (laughs) petty little prick? Go on. Next one. Yeah, this one's... uh... This one's a little edgy. You gotta um, be fucking kidding me with that. The, the, was that uh, where was that from? Was uh, that, is that something we can rely on? That's not from you know uh, uh, Joe Blow journalism. That's from like CBS Sports or somewhere. It's from Christopher Smith from MassLive.com. Yeah, second okay. biggest. He's a, uh, he's, yeah, no, he's reputable. I like him. He's he's good. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's Let me the comment on that. A little wait. Bit here's more. the second one. Let's just get it all out. 
from Chris Smith again uh, by David Price. I told you guys, Dr. Andrews said, I have a special elbow. I'm sure you guys ridiculed me and mocked me and made fun of me and did everything that you guys do. I wasn't lying when he told me that, and now you guys see that. Uh, he just said that. All right. So obviously some of these phantom injuries are admittedly not real injuries. All right. Well, um, I take everything positive I've said about David Price. I retract it immediately. Well, hang on, though. We don't know the context of it. We don't know the tone. No, the context is, the context is, say, read the first quote again, Terry, please. Sure. Uh, let's see. I'm going to bring, I follow Chris Smith on Twitter, so I'm going to find him right now and bring it up myself. Yeah, he says, uh, it's only from seven minutes ago. Uh, he says, I hold all the cards now. I can tell you how good it feels to hold that Trump card, and you guys have had it for a long time. You've played that card extremely well, but you don't have it anymore. None of you do, and that feels really good. All right, I have the quote in front of me as well. All right. So, it's a little ambiguous whether he's talking about the media or the fan base, but it doesn't matter to me. He's basically saying, which I don't know where I could go with this because I'm I, I we just won the World Series and now my blood is boiling. <laughs> um, okay, so Price, you fucking bitch. Okay, the fact that this is what you're talking about when you just won a World Series pisses me off. Just go ahead and opt out and get out of my life. <laughs> just, what's your problem dude I mean come on so now you're going to go back first of all you fa- don't forget that you went 0-9 okay you went 0-9 you sucked you sucked in the biggest moments for your entire fucking career you sucked in game 2 of the ALDS and now look I'm not, I'm going to give you all the credit in the world uh, until I read these tweets which is you flip the script you flip the narrative and you pitch balls out and and you pitched in the bullpen. You warmed up. You had and and, and it wasn't fake. You were going to come in those games, and you you pitched on short rest, and you did everything. And now you're going to harken back to, I'm going to rub the noses of the fans and media in it. You know, you know what you were coming into, and now and now now you can't just be. You can't just let it be. And by the way, from what I've seen. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, Red Sox Twitter tonight ate a lot of crow, admittedly, including myself. I, I saw hundreds of tweets of, um, you know, Case Smith, who's a Barstool employee now, but uh, two years ago was working for NBC Boston. She admitted, she said, um, hey, David, and she added Adam, she at David Price, whatever his stupid number is, um, you know, I'm sorry for calling you an asshole in 2017, you know, you, you know, congratulations. So a lot of people, including myself, were eating crow on Twitter tonight, and he's got to come out and be a petty little prick about it. It just pisses me off. So opt out and get the fuck out of my life. It just pisses me. Jesus Christ, you little dink. Yeah, and... Terry, you got any comment on this? Yeah. the His team carried him into game five against the Astros because he wasn't... He sucked before then. Right. So, right. Yeah. So right. Please. they gave him the opportunity to finally break that curse because he, he didn't do it against the Yankees himself when he could have at home where he pitches well against them, or at least he had in a previous start. Um, and then and then in game two against the uh, the Astros, which was his first start of that series, 
he he it was a quick start. You know, he went what four and a third, something like that. Came out with two runners on. Almost certainly would have given those runners up had he been left in the game and um and then but you know the Red Sox battled and, and won that game and then after that he finally, you know, pitched to his potential and won three games. But this is this is the guy, and I know I have a tweet that says I can't talk negatively about him, but that doesn't include the podcast, and and um, I hope he does opt out. I, I'll never get off of that train. I, I don't care, and he really couldn't have pitched any better those last three games. I mean, he was about as dominant as you could hope for him to be, and it ultimately culminated in a World Series, and I am still on the David Price opt-out train, and who knows with Chris Sale? I don't know what that does to our rotation, but he's not a guy I want to be paying thirty something million to for the next four years. You know, we can we can find other ways to to build our rotation uh, before then, and and you know, and if we can't do it in the off season, we can do it before July thirty uh, first. So. Um, I'm I'm not a David Price guy. I'm I keep I keep refreshing my feed here, and nobody else is literally nobody else is um uh, commenting. He's not giving quotes to anyone else yet so far. So um, so good good for Christopher Price because he's good at his job. And MassLive.com is not something well known to people outside of Boston, but it's a it's it, they do a pretty good job covering the Boston Red Sox. So um. You know, my my comments on David Price because I'm a little bit upset that he's being such a bitch right now about this. Um, and if you read his two comments separately, the first one about um, the first one that you or the second one that you read, but the first one in time, if you're looking at his prices, um, Christopher Price's Christopher uh, Twitter feed, Smith, sorry, yeah. Christopher Smith, Jesus Christ. Um, he was clearly talking about the media in the first one, but in the second one, in my opinion, he's either talking about the media and the fans or both. Um, so, Avaldi's going to play a role. So if, if he opt out, if he opts out, you just freed up $31 million a year, Avaldi becomes a Red Sox. There's no question in my mind that he becomes a Red Sox. There's just not a lot out else that, uh, there's not a lot else out there right now. And I think David Price opting out would require him to think that Major League Baseball, the other teams, because the Red Sox are not going to re-sign him. They're not going to give him another seven, another. They're just not going to do it. In fact, I think if he did do it, the deal from the Red Sox would be much less than $31 million a year. So I don't think he's going to opt out. But if he does, buy. If we can get Evaldi, if we can get Price back, I'm not Price, I keep doing that, sale healthy. Um, it's amazing how much I just switched, by the way, from all the credit in the world to Price to then jumping back on the fact that I think Price is just such a little bitch. The fact that he can't just enjoy tonight, like, go tomorrow. Say it tomorrow. Say it in a week. Say it when free agency starts. Say it when you're on the eve of whether you have to opt out or not. But why are you doing it tonight? It's just like, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't embody the bot. And we've talked about the text he, he sent to JD when JD signed. And I know you know that tweet, uh, that, that text off the top of your head, Terry. But he just, 
he, he he's David Price. He's David Price to a fault. And even in the moments where he and he said some things on the field, right? That he came here to win a championship. That he knew what he was here to do. That he was he was you know. And he said after he got shelled in game two of the LDS, my confidence has not wavered. He said so many right things. And then for it to culminate in a World Series championship, and then him to come out and then attack the fans and attack the media as a petty little bitch that he is, it just it sends me right back into hating David Price. Well, he's actually here because of the players' union. They weren't going to let him take less money and go to the Cardinals because it sets a bad precedence for all. The the, the free agents after him so he's here because the Red Sox offered an extra year and you know that's what he that's what the players union wanted that's what his agent wanted so well and and, and look he he look we all know that the, the, the players union is always gonna ask for the athlete to take the most money the most term but I, it doesn't sound like to me, looking back on that period of time, that he like went kicking and screaming to Boston. I mean, I mean, he, he, you know, he got the most money from Boston. He went to Boston for the most money. So I don't know if like the union strong armed him. I doubt it. I think you know maybe the union said some things, but at the end of the day, the Red Sox offered another year and a lot more money. So right, but there there would have been backlash, is what I'm saying. If he. I, I, it would have and been. that's fine, but Pedroia, Pedroia, by the way, signed, uh, when he was still in arbitration, a five-year deal for $60 million when everyone you know, in baseball was saying, just wait one more year and you'll get six for 150 So, I mean, not all athletes are created equal, and I can't believe I just com- complimented Pedroia because he's turned into, in, into such a little dink, too. But I, I'm, I'm honestly, Terry, I was so happy at the start of this podcast, and Maybe maybe this is another champagne problem that we can so quickly move. I am so quickly maybe moving on to f- the future because, you know, winning in 2018 doesn't mean that I don't want to win again. And, in fact, I expect to win again. This team's really young. The core's together. The killer bees are still here. Sale's still here. You know, the catcher position solidified. We're, you know, Bogarts is uh, 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 in his last year of arbitration, so he'll be back probably at about $15 million. First base is satisfied. Third base is satisfied. I mean, we're good. We're going to be good again. And I want to enjoy this moment. And I was having such a fun time reflecting. And right before you read those tweets, I was talking about 2004 to 2018. And then Price has to become Price again. And he's just a little bitch. And I hate him again just as quickly as I was ready to give him some credit. The sad part about all this is is he's not going to be held accountable because they're about to all ride off into the sunset for the rest of the offseason. And... Um, after the parade that is and so he's not gonna he's not gonna face the same scrutiny as if he just spouted this off on a thursday night in july you know against the orioles or whatever um so no i mean red sox nation right now is in a state of euphoria as they should be um you know only probably a small few have you know radio obligations and those are the professionals you you and i are you know out here grinding and we have a podcast obligation which is fine, so we're looking at it a little bit differently, but hey, you're right. It's going to go under the radar. Everyone's going to get up tomorrow and be ready to blow David Ortiz, which is fine, but, uh, you know, it's not the way it should be because that's not what he's doing to you, Boston. He's not saying thank you, fans. 
He's not, thank you for the support. Thank you for standing behind me. Thank you for paying my salary and filling Fenway Park and buying the merchandise and buying the, 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 buying the you know, paying for Nesson and paying for MLB extra innings. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not thanking you, Boston Red Sox fans. He's bitching about you an hour and a half after you won the World Series. He's complaining about you, Boston Red Sox fans. It's yeah. ridiculous. And here's the other thing, because I, I kind of tweeted, I quoted that, the the Trump card tweet, and then above it I said, you know, not very humble, all of a sudden, dot, dot, dot. And this is the other thing I was about to get to, is two-thirds of the fan base is going to rally around this guy anyway, because they don't care about integrity or any of that. And so one guy fires back at me, and he says, he's speaking to guys just like you. He proved you wrong. Let him have his moment. Another guy says, he earned it. Another guy says, shut the fuck up. He's talking, yeah, basically the same thing. He's talking to everyone who is just like you. And, uh, you know, so that's what well, it is. Either. Like, we're, we're kind of poisoned by him at this point. So, look, I don't, like... All right, well, first of all, you are so much more negative on Twitter than I am. So you're going to get some of that where I just generally don't. Like, I, I try to be kind of comical on Twitter. And I'm not necessarily optimistic on Twitter, but I'm also not a, a pessimist. So I'm definitely somewhere in the middle where you clearly lean, you know, on the negative side of being a Boston Red Sox fan, which is fine. And um, you obviously have 20,000 followers, and I have 120. We're so, the same I mean, on price, though. I mean, we're... The, yeah, no, we're, we're very similar on price, but... The, the the Red Sox fans, I don't want to piss our listeners off because there's going to be listeners that don't agree with me here. So I want to characterize this appropriately. <laughs> I wouldn't even worry about it. The, <laughs> I, I never the, did. The, the people that would just say, hey, give them, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt tonight are misguided in my opinion because he's been he's hated you since day one and look i if you're a price guy and you jump on twitter and you're defending price he's not seeing it he doesn't give a shit right he cares about the people that hate him if you can't understand the significance of him taking the moment that moment this moment winning a world championship and taking that moment and shitting all over you, then you just you're you're never gonna you're never gonna see anything but rose petals and rainbows. And I can't do anything for that fan because Terry, I you know I've said this. I've got no use for the eternal optimist, and I have no use for the eternal pessimist. Right? You can't it can't be all black and it can't be all red. That's not the way life works. That's not the way being a fan of baseball, and that's not the the way being a fan of the Boston Red Sox is. So if you're going to sit here and say, hey, let him shit on me as a Boston Red Sox fan because he just won a World Series, then I got no use for you. You can go fuck yourself too. And David Price, like, it's amazing that, again, you reeled me in. You said some things where I said, okay, it's time. It's, it's, he's turned the corner. He gets it. And that's a quote I've said in this podcast the last two or three episodes. He gets it. No. Jeremy, you're an idiot. You're wrong. And David Price, you're a prick. <laughs> a petty prick. Sorry, hold on. A petty prick. Yeah. Yep. Well, 
it's staggering. It's shocking that he did that. It's and then so we'll find out. Maybe he does opt out, Terry. Maybe maybe he did enough with these three starts where um, he feels like he can get twenty five million somewhere else, and he'd just rather be outside of Boston. Um, you know, I still don't think so because as much as he hates, obviously, he hates the the media and the Red Sox fan base. He still loves that clubhouse. The clubhouse loves him. So I think he's going to be back. And at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to, once I'm over the fact that he did this in the wake of, you know, on the the night of winning a World Series, he said these things. I do think he'll be back, and I do think I will, I, I think it's in the best interest of the Boston Red Sox that he does come back. And obviously now with the monkey off his shoulders, I think he's free to pitch really well in a whole bunch of situations. Uh, regular season, you know, maybe he now reverses course against the Yankees. And, you know, obviously we get back in the postseason next year, which I think is a pretty good, uh, there's a pretty good chance that happens. He, we don't have to have this narrative starting out where, well, you know, David, are you going to be good in the playoffs? Well, I was good in the playoffs. I probably should have been the World Series MVP. So, but it just, it's not lost on me that he's just being such a petty bitch about his hatred for the fan base and the media on the night he won a goddamn World Series. Yeah, true. And uh, he does have, I think, 10 days from tomorrow to decide whether he will uh, opt out, I think is how that works. So, uh, yeah. Uh, One uh, final thing, I guess, and then we'll uh, wrap it up for a few days. Um, I just, I think it's really important that the Red Sox won a World Series without David Ortiz because I didn't I didn't want that to become a thing and it would have taken another at least a decade or so before people started saying you guys aren't anything without Ortiz you haven't done anything since he retired so we're kind of you know we're kind of separating ourselves from that era now and you know who knows if Mookie will be here in a few years but I mean we're still gonna have Benintendi for a while Devers for a while we're we're going to be seeing guys like Chavis, Dahlbeck, probably as early as next year, and um, you know, and that's you know, the next era is here, and and we've done it without David Ortiz, so um, I'm glad it worked out. Okay, so that's an interesting point for a couple of reasons. One, um, this is something we talked about in the last last podcast, so we were ahead of Fox, who mentioned it on the broadcast tonight. The, the only remaining member of the 13 team is, is Xander Bogarts. So they completely flipped this roster over. Um, pitching staff, bullpen. I mean, everybody, Dom, Dombrowski wasn't around back then. It was still Charrington. So total <clears throat> total, um, total teardown and rebuild. Um, they did it seamlessly. They had some bad years in there, but we've now won three straight AL East divisions. Um, you know this 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 roster has been built strongly. Uh, I do have some concerns about the, the the minor leagues, but that's not for tonight. Um, I think the biggest issue and the, is JD the, the the signing of JD, and that was kind of like a song and dance. Um, you know, it was like the awkward you know prom thing where the two the the guy and the girl want to dance, but they're both being shy about it, so they kind of like wait until right at the the time the prom ends. Uh, that's what happened in the off season with JD and the Red Sox, and uh, at the you know at the end of the day, JD took a little bit less than he wanted, and the Red Sox paid a little bit more than they wanted to. But you know that was obviously a huge factor. We solidified the middle of the lineup with a big time bat, and he 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 easily could be the you know the the AL MVP, but for his teammate, could easily be the runner up. 
So we'll we'll find out soon uh, how that goes, but obviously that's a significant factor. Um, but I think it's you know it's important for the program, for the team, and Terry. I think it's a really good point um, that they won with the next iteration, with the next group of guys, and they're all coming back. And you mentioned everybody. You didn't mention JD. He's got four more years left. Well, if he doesn't um, opt out next, after next year. Well, he's gonna. So they're they're gonna have to buy some opt out. They're gonna have to pay him some money to buy off that option because they don't want him to exercise that. Obviously, if it was this year, he would opt out, and he would get thirty million a year. So, right. Um, you know, maybe he gets hurt next year. I don't think it's gonna get to that point again next podcast. But what I would say is probably by by February first, you're gonna see um, either maybe a year tacked on and fully guaranteed. Or they stay at the four years, buy off the options, and add five million or ten million a year, probably five million a year to get out of those. The, him, him have an opportunity to leave. So, um, but look, you're right. And and Ortiz won, had all those big hits. And this year, by the way, there was no one guy. I mean, Pierce obviously was awesome in the World Series, but in every series there was a different guy. And so this team did not rely on on the one big bat like those teams back in the day did with Ortiz yeah and we'll, like I said we'll get into the the contract situations and the market values probably later in the week but uh, alright well uh, I, I'm good with uh, <laughs> with winning the World Series and uh, putting that in the book so yeah I can't believe that uh, David Price um uh, you know that's shocking, but yes. Getting back to the look, Boston Red Sox World Series champs again. Can't wait to wake up tomorrow. Can't wait to listen to the the local radio station. Can't wait to listen to this podcast, which I will do. Um, you know, can't wait to the next podcast. And you know, for the first time in five years, we're going to go into the off season with everyone wanting to be us. And you're going to see a lot of people trying to copy the things the Boston Red Sox did in 2018. And it's an exciting time to be a, a Red Sox fan. And I, 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 the only thing that's a little bit sad is there's no baseball tomorrow. But uh, when you play this late in the season, uh, guess what? The spring training starts in four months. So, yeah. um, you know, it is what it is. You know, Terry, it's was, it was been a really fun ride. And, and I look forward to the off-season activity with you. Yeah, and seeing how these big uh, free agents end up faring as well. So, all right, man. Well, have a good night, and uh, we'll uh, talk again in a couple of days. Good night, Terry. World Series episode in the books. Have a good morning, everyone.